Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Chef's Story. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton, and today we're sitting in the International Culinary Center, and I'm very excited because with me I have um, one of my favorite chefs. He didn't even know it. He didn't even know that I w- I've been in his restaurant. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I have to say, uh, if you did not know that this man was American, you would never, ever believe <laughs> he wasn't Italian. Thomas McNaughton is the chef at uh, Flower and Water in San Francisco, uh, a restaurant that has the 2015 Bib Gourmand from Michelin Guide. Um, it's constantly in San Francisco Chronicle's top 100 Bay Area restaurants. Um, the Condé Nast Traveler, best new restaurant in San Francisco, Central Kitchen that he has in 2013, GQ, Travel and Leisure, Zagat, he was a Zagat 30 under 30 honoree, um, 2011 to 13, uh, James Beard, Rising Chef Star, you know, he's one of those types of chefs that's like on every list, and anything he does, everybody's going to eat up, so welcome, Thomas. Thank you, thanks for having me. So, um... Well, let's let's get started. I'm so happy to hear, even though you have one of the hottest resta- restaurants in San Francisco, you're a local boy from New Jersey. <laughs> so, were you born in New Jersey? I, I try to hide that I'm from South Jersey, Aww. but uh, no, don't so- don't say that on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, South Jersey, um, like 30 minutes uh, south of Philly. Uh huh. So. so, did you surf at Stone Harbor? Of course, yeah, absolutely. You can't say that's bad. Yeah, no. The Jersey Shore is a beautiful place. And it's warmer than the Pacific. It certainly is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So are you surfing out in the Pacific? Uh, a little bit. I, I don't have that much free time right now, but, you know. Okay. So tell us about growing up. Did you Were you weaned on Jersey tomatoes? Uh, we had a, actually, and, um, you know, we'd always experiment with different types of peppers and tomatoes, and uh, it was beautiful. So what kind of student were you? I was a terrible student. Oh, tell um, us about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, I have some, some sort of uh, ADD nature where I'm always hopping around, you know. And I think that, um, you know, in, in school there was just, uh, if I was assigned uh, uh, any sort of work, it was always like pulling teeth. But if I was interested in something, if I was really engaged in something, I really kind of immersed myself into it and... Um, you know, that's kind of where I fell into kitchens as well at such a young age. So with a name like McNaughton, you know, doing pasta comes naturally, right? So what kind of food were you weaned on? Um, you know, I say that I was culinary abused as a child. You know, my mother's <laughs> not the best cook. I hope she doesn't listen to this interview. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was South Jersey food, you know. it was so uh, South Jersey food? Uh, I mean, uh, Philly cheesesteaks and, uh, you know, pizza and... Um, we always had a meal on the table, but. But. 
but okay. So, what was your favorite thing to eat when you were growing up? Um, bagels, and I, I still bagels. and I still and I still miss them. You know, you I mean, it. yeah, I mean, and that's it. That's all it needs. Um, and it's just something that we don't you don't see that often on the the West Coast. Uh, and uh, pork roll, egg and cheese sandwich, um, like Taylor ham they call yeah. it in the in North Jersey. Um, I still kind of sometimes I'll ship them out to uh, to uh, to San Francisco. So when you were seven years old, what did you want to be? Oh, I think it probably changed once a week at least. You know. Um, oh, you were jumping up and down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my my, uh, my parents always poke fun at me that uh, uh, every single week I had a different hobby. You know, and all I wanted was a bow and arrow, and I would beg for a bow and arrow, and I would save up, and I'd get a bow and arrow, and then a week later I'd put it down, and you know I wanted to be a professional BMX uh, biker, and that's all I wanted, and um, so I really did kind of hop around a, a lot. So, um, when did this culinary epiphany happen, where you moved on from a bagel? Yeah, I mean, it really it started with. And it's kind of strange to say, it really started with the dynamics of a professional kitchen. Um, I started washing dishes when I was 14 years old, um, and it was this amazing dynamic of a professional kitchen that I really fell in love with. So it was really first the dynamics of the kitchen and then food. Was it a fine dining restaurant that you uh, were in? I started in country clubs, um, and just as a short order cook, and um, well, it was first as a dishwasher, and then moving into a short order cook, and... Um, I just just fell in love with the atmosphere, you know. Do you, mean, do you mean the people and the family type atmosphere a team gets? I, or did you like the food? Or? I mean, across the, I, I always loved using my hands, you know. It was the, the nature of that team atmosphere. And, um, you know, if you excelled, if you were really good, I mean, in a kitchen, you can move up very quickly if you really put your head down. And um, I love... I love, I love, it. my dream job is to be a woodworker. When I grow up, I'm going to be a woodworker, you know. Um, and it's the dynamic of that team about, you know, all these crazy things. I mean, you know, professional kitchens, they're, it's mayhem. It's c- controlled chaos every single day. And I just kind of fell in love with that atmosphere. And then slowly, 15, 16 uh, years old, started to take it really seriously, you know. I always tell people I would buy, I would buy cooking equipment. And I would tell my friends it was for my girlfriend or my mother, and I was embarrassed by it, you know, um, uh, creating meals at home and starting to experiment, and um, it was. So what, what did your parents think? Uh, I mean, they, they certainly embraced it right away. I mean, I think that, um, not to say it was too long ago, um, but it wasn't where, you know, it wasn't that tough yet, and those kind of didn't really really happen quite that time. And so, I mean, they always embraced it. They just loved that I was interested in something and sticking to it you know so did they your father owned a nursery that that was and so did you have any special attachment to the land did you have to work with him did you did you get your hands in the soil or yeah certainly I mean even before I started washing dishes I think I mean the probably 10 11 years old when I started to kind of help out on the farm and um the the dream job of being a woodworker would be on a farm, you know. Uh, it's something where I might be skipping ahead here, but the the reason why I've kind of um, planted the roots in California, you know, having access to these amazing, amazing farms and being connected with the products is one of the most important things to me. It's almost a 
it's certainly a part of the job description of being a chef in Northern California is understanding where your food comes from and the entire process and you know uh, well, I think everybody's getting to that right, point certainly. today for a lot of reasons but we'll get into that as you said before so um, when you were 14 years old what would your best friend say you were where was Thomas going to be or if you called your Tom if they said tell us about him and what is he going to be 10 years from now what would your best friend have said Unfortunately, in South Jersey, when I was 14 years old, they probably called me Tommy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I call my brother Tommy from Brooklyn, so, yeah, I get it. Okay, Tommy. Um, what would they say? Yeah. Who was your best friend when you were 14? Uh, probably uh, a guy named Mike, Mike Sperry, yeah. Okay, so uh, what would Mike tell us about you? I think, you know, I was a little bit of a troublemaker. <laughs> I like yeah, to hear I that. A little yeah, bit yeah. of a troublemaker, yeah. so I think it'd be uncertain, you know, of, of where I'd end up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I think that... Uh, I think people were surprised. My, my friends, like, as I evolved in the kitchen, you know, and, and starting to get ready, you know, going through high school, and um, I think they were all very surprised that um, that I wanted to go to culinary school or to be a chef, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, at the very beginning, I was almost uh, slightly embarrassed by it, you know. Yeah. So you went to CIA. So when did you make that decision? And were you in? Did you go right after high school? Or I took a year off. I really wanted to work for a year, um, and I think it's like really important to have uh, a foundation or a basis. I think that any school that you attend and you have a, a foundation or a basis, you're able to to pull so or draw so much more from it because mm-hmm. you you understand it a little bit more. You know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, I think it's important that you don't pick up a chef's knife for the first time you know you really understand you have a foundation of uh fundamentals of cooking to then go off and and absorb every single thing you can you know right so but you didn't stay at the cia incomplete you you sort of took a break after you were there so Uh, tell us about that the i was looking for an externship and I was sending my resume to... I really wanted to go to Northern California, and I knew that. And so, so While you were at school. Right. And so, and part of that was just to get as far away as I possibly can and go, you know, go explore. Um, and so I was sending my resumes to all these amazing restaurants in the Bay Area. Um, and one of the restaurants I sent it to was La Folie, which is a very, very classic. Uh, Roland Pesso is the, the, the chef there. And same thing, I wanted that... I wanted a basis of a, a fundamentals of a, of a, you know, in my, in what I was thinking then was an old school French restaurant, you know, and he was the only person that called me back directly and very, very thick accent. I had no idea what he was saying on the phone. Um, I never really wanted to do my externship there and it didn't really work out with the school. I don't, they weren't accepting non-paid extern uh, ships at the time. And he said, uh, come out and work for two weeks for free. And if we like you, we'll hire you. And so that's what I did. So I left uh, left school, um, put everything in one suitcase, moved to a uh, old bar. I bought a or I got a rented an apartment on Craigslist with no pictures. Didn't even see it, uh, and it was in the Tenderloin of San Francisco. And the Tenderloin is not the nicest, uh, the friendliest neighborhood. And it was uh, turned out it wasn't even zoned to be an apartment. Uh, it was an old barber shop, which still had the black and white tiles and. There was a, uh, a futon and a half fridge, and you walked into what was the boiler room of the entire building. Like, it sounds like I couldn't even make this up, you know, into the boiler room of the entire building, and the shower was just the sink, and the handle of the uh, or the faucet of the sink lifted up, 
and that was it. There was a drain on the floor. And, um, what year was this? This was in 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, and just fell in love with the city. I mean, that was the first, and especially the restaurant, it was the, it was the big city restaurant, you know. Um, totally out of my element, you know, way in over my head. And um, What was your first position with Verlon? This Gar- Garmage, you know. Um, I mean, talk about an intense atmosphere, you know. Um, and it's just a very, very tiny kitchen. It's very busy. Uh, a ton of food comes out of it. And, um, yeah, it was it was definitely... How many covers a night? And um, I think that at 90 covers, the wheels are coming off, you know. Um, and it's a fine dining restaurant. And so so you went back to school after uh-huh. Well, I never... I didn't want to leave... I thought it was an amazing opportunity to go work there. It was never my intention to leave school, um, but I did. I, I left for a year because uh, I worked there for two weeks for free. Uh, on the last day, you know, under his breath, said, okay, he's going to start paying me. Um, and I worked there for about a year, and I just wanted to go. I, you know, I wanted to go and, and finish up and get my degree. And um, So the externship at CIA, is it a year long? No, and, no, no. it's only a couple of months. But I, u- I ended up using that for my externship. So they allowed to, like, pass it through eventually. Okay. And um, So was it because you loved San Francisco, you stayed there that year, or because you loved the restaurant or the whole thing? And the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. I because mean, was, you were really bucking the school at that time since you didn't go back. Right, right, yeah, no, definitely. Um, You're it, a it bit was, of a troublemaker, aren't you? <laughs> 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 the um, uh, it was just a great opportunity for me um, to see that, and, and I thought, what a great opportunity to, to stay here for a year, mm-hmm. um, and then you know if they let me come back and finish up school, then great. You no, know. no, it, it was probably even better because yeah. you had a whole year. No, already. absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and um, and so I went to when I was working at um, at La Folie on my weekends, I was staging. I was always like I was so heads down, and you know uh, really wanted to push myself and. Um, I would stodge at other restaurants, and I started to develop a relationship with Gary Danko, um, which is another uh, fine dining restaurant in San Francisco. And I would go there on the weekends, and I just I just kept coming back, you know. Um, and I think so I where does this where does this come from? You have parents who are not particularly into food. Right. You know, you're not eating anything inspirational when you you're young. You go to a, really a country club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but a country club right. isn't about you know. It isn't like you it's had a step no up from hospital food. I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So where where is the wellspring? It was it was a combination of so many things, and and I always I. I would always end up doing something with my hands, building something or creating something. And, you know, it's, there, there's, how do you explain, I mean, uh, the title of a, a chef or the job description of being a chef is, you know, it's a hundred to a thousand things. It's not, it's certainly not one dimensional. Um, and that's what, what I love about it. I love um, the creative nature of it. I love the, you know, the physical skill of, of working with your hands and creating something. I love the, um, the atmosphere of, uh, you know, a collaborative team. And, um, there's so many different things to it that, that build to, I mean, uh, it's the, it's one of the craziest jobs out there. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, well, we'll get into that. Maybe the third, we're going to take a break right here and we'll be back. Welcome back. 
You're listening to Chef's Story, and today my guest is Thomas McNaughton from Flower and Water and Central Kitchen. And what is this, na- um, how do you say? So the Natimius Restaurant Group. Natimius yeah. Restaurant, the two partners. Um, Flower and Water was the first uh, restaurant to open that's been about five and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, Central Kitchen um, and Salumaria. Salumaria is our daytime larder, deli. Yeah. You know, it's the cured meats that we that we make. It's jams, jellies, the olive oils that we're really proud of. Okay, so South Jersey boy goes to San Francisco and now starts bouncing around Europe. Yeah. So what made you leave San Francisco for Europe? Um, so at the time I was working at, uh, at Gary Danko's and um, I wanted, I just had a bug, you know. I wanted to, to go see things. I think that um, staging in Europe, is equal parts culinary based. You're learning things. You're you're inside of a kitchen, but it's also personal experiences. It's like you know you're traveling around and figuring out uh, the, the the world around you. You know, culture is so intertwined with food. You know, you really can't have one on its own. And uh, it, you know, I really wanted to kind of immerse myself in different cultures and see things firsthand. You know, I think that a lot of young uh, young chefs. They think that that has to be the milestone for them. They have to go to Europe. They have to stage in kitchens. In you find that today too. Oh, absolutely. Is yeah. it, I mean, I people are still going so to. Our, so many of our, our sous chefs, and you know, um, they're biting at the you know they're chomping at the bit to, to go to Europe. And in reality, if, if you're just food focused, you're going to get way more out of staging in America because you speak the same. There's not a language barrier. You know, it's like, you know, you really can. There's been so many frustrating times where I'm like, what is in that recipe? What did he add? You know, and there's just a complete communication breakdown. Um, but it's part life experience, too. It's not just about the food, you know. So, so where in Europe was your first Holy Grail? Um, well, I went to, I started in a uh, Michelin star restaurant, Tantris in Germany. Um, and is that in Munich? Exactly right, um, and I wanted—I knew I wanted to just like you know a lot of the young guys. I wanted to do uh, Spain, uh, France, and Italy. Um, I staged for um, about six months, kind of hopping around um, different restaurants. Went to Paris, um, went to Northern Italy, Alto Adige, and uh, it wasn't until my second trip that that holy grail was in Bologna in Italy um, so wait 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 so how long, you spent six months mm-hmm. your first time right. yeah. bouncing around mm-hmm. what was your greatest disappointment in Europe you, everybody goes there with right, great expectations right. sure. what was your greatest disappointment um, you know I didn't have a, I set up all these stages in restaurants but they're very loose plans I'm going to be there in the end of November or, you know you have to go see my friend in this town and he's going to set you up for a stage and um because it wasn't concrete, the plan, um, you know, I, I got stuck at some restaurants that weren't really that uh, exceptional. Um, and but there's, I I always think you can you can learn something. You know, there's nothing that you can't you know uh, absorb. And the um, what was yeah, your best experience um, in Bologna in the pasta laboratory? Okay, I mean, it was, was right, right, right. And the the the, the first trip was. Um, I mean, I staged at uh, Michel Rostand in Paris, and it was just everything that you think of a uh, fine dining restaurant in the middle of Paris, it was. I mean, it was this 
crazy kitchen and people screaming and yelling and throwing things and you know these am- amazing immaculate plates and um, it was great. It was great to, to, to see that firsthand. You know? What do you think that does for a young American chef? Is it really important? You, you know, you made your point that you'll learn a lot more maybe technically and product-wise in America. But what layer of nuance does going to Europe do for a chef? I think that, like, like I said before, it's about immersing yourself in not just food but a culture. And really seeing a culture firsthand. I mean, the um, the dining habits uh, of a compl- of a of a different country are completely different, you know. And it's seeing like different layers to a culture and how that that intertwines with food. That's probably the greatest thing that I took away. Um, so out of the the trinity of France, Italy, and Spain, I, I guess I know this answer. But which which cuisine uh, inspired you the most? On the first trip, it was yeah. it was France. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't yeah, expect yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no. And why, really was, was that? why was that? Um, it was just had an amazing experience in, in it. And at that time, I really, it was nothing but fine dining for me. And I really wanted to, I thought I was going to be the tortured soul chef of a, of a 12-seat restaurant. You know, every single plate goes through my hands. You know, there are 18 hours, uh, seven days a week. And that was the goal at the time. And, and that's what I was seeing in, in Paris and in France. And, um, and so, yeah, I just thought it was, you know. Um, Did you take some money and go eat in two and three star Michelins? I was, I was so broke. I remember, I, I mean, I was so broke. I would uh, sleep on floors, you know. Yeah. Um, f- honestly, for treats, it was like I would splurge and buy, you know, warm chestnuts, like roasted on the street, you know. And, um what do you think is the difference between an American and a French chef? Let's say, you know, what today oh, working. I mean, it's so it's that's so difficult because um, I mean, there's so many differences to each chef. You know, yeah, um, I think that I think that the dining scene, the dining scene um, in France, certainly there's a, a. I think as the years pass, the dining culture in America is certainly becoming more and more casual. Uh, I think that has to do with a lot of things. I mean, you used to get dressed in a suit to get on an airplane, right? And now you have uh, sweatpants on and a t-shirt. But I think that um, certainly what I saw in France is that there that the dining cult, the fine dining culture, was so present, you know, and it was it was um, elegant. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And that's why that's why I was so engaged because I really thought that that was the the path for me. So for a t- troublemaker, you you uh, do look like an elegant guy. <laughs> I have to say, what a good haircut! And <laughs> but uh, so, what brought you back to California? Um, the first time I moved to California, it was reimagining food. It was tasting a turnip and being like, oh, my God, that's what a turnip tastes like or a piece of sage. And, you know, this the simple basis of ingredients that were so amazing. Um, and I love the, the, the farm connection. I mean, it sounds so cliche and it's what so many people talk about, but that farm connection about, you know, going to feed the pig that we're going to, you know, have in the restaurant in the next month. And, um yeah, it was that farm connection. And I was also, you know, I fell in love with San Francisco. San Francisco is a big town. It's not a city, you but know. But once you were in, 
in France right, right. And, you're now in Europe so now mm-hmm. you're coming back to right. San Francisco mm-hmm. yeah and working at uh, is it because you ran out of money and you were broke absolutely no no okay. definitely I mean I, I went for as long as I could go okay. you know um, right. I had an open ended ticket on the way back and I went for as long as I could go and um, always knew that I was going to come back to the Bay Area and San Francisco and um, at that time you know when I first went to La Folie uh, in 2002, that was the last time that I printed a resume. So much of it, so much of it was, um, you know, immersing myself in the culinary scene there and building relationships, you know. Um, and it really is, this, I mean, with technology now, Twitter and Instagram and all of that, the industry is becoming, you know, smaller and smaller and smaller. Um but it was certainly the case for me in San Francisco, where it was just such a a, a small group of chefs that were doing amazing things, and um, so I already had relationships at that point. And so you went back and worked where? Uh, I went back and um, the I went back to Gary Danko's just to kind of settle my feet and get back in the city, and uh, ended up at Quint's restaurant. With Michael yeah. Tusk. With Michael Tusk, yeah. Oh. Um, so I still I still have bruises to to, to show. No. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was Italian. Oh, right. Yeah. So. And that's that's where um, I mean whole animals and certainly working directly with with farms and uh, immersing yourselves in, in pasta production and um, butchery and salumi making and um, which was an amazing small lo- it was at the old location so amazing small little restaurant yeah and so and, and then how did you get to Bologna why, why? Um, so then I worked at Quince for some time and um, uh, got the bug again you know and wanted to, to, to go out and to travel and see other things and um, went back to, to France for a little while um, but knew and this is how it always works it was like a friend of a friend of a friend um, that worked in Bologna and uh, it was at uh, Bruno Franco Pasta Laboratorio, and um, tell us about that. I mean, tell us the concept of Bruno Franco. So Bruno Franco is a salumeria, and salumerias in uh, in Bologna uh, are are always have a offsite pasta production, um, and they call it pasta laboratorios. It is not like a mad scientist lab. Um, it's wooden tables with. Uh, with old Nona's uh, rolling pasta out by hand. And Nona's are grandma's. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the pasta machines are all over Italy. They don't exist in Bologna. And it's a style of rolling out dough with a mozzarella, a very, very long rolling pin. Um, working in all these Michelin star restaurants, you know, I always say there's, like a, there's a common food language. I can go and work in Germany. I don't have to speak the language because... It, there's a f- common food language. If you see somebody turning an artichoke, I know how to turn an artichoke. I can just belly up to them and help them out. You can, you can see the looks on people's faces that's the you know behind getting set up for service, and you know you see exactly like they do it. Sorry, data right here. Uh, just okay. I just want to make sure this is yep. running. Okay, let's continue. So, uh, in this laboratory, how mm-hmm. did you, how did you find it? It was a friend of a friend that, that uh, knew of it. Um, I called him up. They, uh, at the time, I spoke almost zero Italian and very little English. And it was hard to get it set up, but uh, we finally worked it out. And 
you know. Were you in love with pasta at this time? Absolutely, on, yeah. So you were on the quest to find. Without so, a doubt, and this so was kind of like the holy grail because now? of the the style in which they they produce pastas, and not a lot of people even know about it in America. Um, and uh, you know, going to these these Michelin star restaurants, you know, you're always a little uneasy. But I was never really nervous. I mean, walking into this pasta laboratory, I was nervous. It was like it was and such as really a, is grandmother's. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's not the screaming chef that's that's standing behind you. And I was so used to that. Um, you know, it's somebody that's been doing a craft for 40, 50 years of their life. You know, they don't even think about what they're doing. They just go there to gossip every single day. You know, <laughs> and uh, um, and how many people like Tommy were there? Uh, well, zero. So there was only one. There was only one ever stage. Um, in uh, no ever there. There was only one ever stage there ever, and, that and was I was you? the se- no no I was the second oh, one. You were the second one. And um, going coming back to America, just like I mean, just screaming how amazing it was and telling everybody. Um, I don't even think they take stages anymore because they had such an influx, you know, doing doing interviews and talking yeah, yeah, about yeah, yeah. it. Um, and certainly, it's 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 all throughout the book. Um, I don't even think they allow started because it's just too crazy for them, you know. So how long were you there? Um, probably in total three to four months. Yeah. And so how I many rented an apartment. Did you um, well, it's just really the the amazing thing about Italy is how you can't talk about Italian food without talking about the regions, you know, and how incredibly regional uh, the food actually is. And it was very specific pastas to um, uh, not just Emilia Romagna, the region, but Bologna, the city, and so Tortellini and Brodo. I mean, small Tortellini's is the the queen, you know, of pastas there. Uh, Tagatelli, Garganelli, um, you know, pasta Bolognese is like you know, obviously another classic from there. Um, lasagna, you know, but it's all about sheeting these doughs and, and how you produce those, and you know, but it was amazing. So we're going to take another break, and we're coming down to the home stretch. we got to start talking about not only your restaurants, but your beautiful, beautiful new book. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. So welcome back. You're listening to Chef's Story, and today my guest is Thomas McNaughton from Flower and Water in San Francisco. So, Flower and Water, let's right. leave Bologna, mm-hmm. let's leave those pastas, and thank God right. you brought them to the United States. Yeah. So tell us about Flower and Water, and then tell us about you know, the book, mm-hmm. your, your, your really iconic um, uh, brand. Right. And the most delicious, I have to say, one of the most delicious pastas I've ever had in America. <laughs> um, yeah, I started uh, Fire and Water with my two business partners, David White and David Steele. Uh, about five and a half years ago, we formed uh, Nate Timmy's Restaurant Group. Um, and, I mean, it was the, 
the most chaotic uh, restaurant opening that I've ever been a part of. You know, our budget was so low, and we bought a $500 used stove. Uh, we had a, a wood oven that we could barely afford. We were, you know, painting walls and putting together tables. And, uh, you know, my previous chef, Michael Tusk, just bought... Um, uh, what was the new quince where they moved we bought all of his used equipment we bought his used tables and it was a shoestring budget and um, we just started making pasta <laughs> you know um, and uh, yeah it, it was certainly uh, the biggest learning experience of my career without a doubt probably not from a culinary point of view from an every point of view <laughs> I mean the um, I've never I never accepted a job or, or taken something on that I felt comfortable with you know and it was always just trying to push myself a little bit more and um, I mean 530 the opening day I wasn't in the kitchen I was dry heaving in the bathroom you know just this huge massive undertaking of a restaurant there's a line that was already forming out the door and we've never been open before and we were supposed to do a, a, a soft uh, opening, and that night we did 136 covers. Um, How many seats? Yeah, there's 55 seats. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and we've never dipped below that in five and a half years. We've never done below. I mean, we're so fortunate uh, to be that healthy of a restaurant, um, which is crazy. So, As I said to you before, I'm so so happy today because now I can almost get a reservation next time <laughs> I'm out there. Um, so... What did you, what did you want from Flower and Water Restaurant? You worked in the great American Italian restaurants, and you've yeah. been to Italy. What did you want from yours? Um, I, I wanted to know that I could do it. You know, the I wanted to know if I could uh, succeed. I mean, that that's really it, right? Um, and it just happened that Flower and Water, really the heart of the menu, um, evolved to be pasta. And we, you know, as we started to redevelop the the restaurant, I redevelop. It's definitely a wrong term. I mean, just the it evolved. And was it first a pizza restaurant? Well, <laughs> that's what people thought. You know, the day. I mean, the everyone thought that we were opening up a, a pizzeria, and I remember the first week we probably sold double the amount of pizzas that we do now because everyone thought it was a pizza restaurant. And um, the uh, as we evolved the restaurant. Um, we started to grow uh, as a restaurant group. So we developed the dough room. The dough room was stylized. It's in the back of the restaurant. It's a separate building. Um, and it's this beautiful, light-filled room where we produce all of our pastas. It was stylized after um, uh, the, lab, the lab in Bologna and very similar setup. And that's where we make all of our bread and, and pasta and form all of our doughs. That's why we call it the, the dough room. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we just kept growing we evolved from there and then when we developed the the dough room obviously our pastas continued to develop and um then we put on a test kitchen on top of the restaurant to develop the cookbook and so we built a, a room a, a test kitchen essentially to to produce the the cookbook where we could we could work you know we weren't disturbing any of the restaurants and um you know the photographer could could work in there the the co-author could work and um we just it feels like in the last five and a half years we haven't stopped growing you know so um so you have the cookbook you've finished that you've got three uh restaurants and a deli uh what's next uh we are about to open two new restaurants 
So, <laughs> yeah, it's a, well the same. It's the a same. glutton it's for weird. for a challenge. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's in the old Swedish American Hall. So um, amazing historical building. It's built in 1907. It has like two steel beams in it. That's it. Um, the entire thing is uh, uh, has been continually operating. So on the underground is a bar called Denord. Denord has operated since 1907, even operated through Prohibition. And um, uh, we're bringing Cafe Denord back to kind of its 30s era. Oh, um, and so we rebuilt and we... What kind of menu? Um, yeah, Americana bar. You know, there'll be a there'll be a burger on. There'll be you know things from that era. There'll certainly be a raw um, uh, seafood element to it. Uh, but things that were in that era, kind of not redeveloped too much, but done our way. So we went Oyster Rockefeller. It's it's done our way. You know, um, so hopefully it's just fun, lively bar food. You know. So uh, a lot of chefs have this. You know, you I don't why why open all these restaurants? Are you tired uh, of just cooking in the in the kitchen? I think. I, I don't think I'll ever know the answer to that question. Glutton for punishment, like you say. Um, it's it's amazing to see, um, well, one, and I think a lot of chefs respond this way, is that they have people that work underneath them, and they want them to develop and to grow. All of our kitchens are 100% collaborative. You know, I write the menu with not just the sous chefs, but the cooks itself, and we sit in round tables and we talk about it and the the things that we want to produce, and I think that's... That's certainly an element to it. Um, maybe it's that ADD nature that's still there that wants to, to see different things come to fruition. It's like um, Cafe de Nord is underneath it. On the ground floor, um, the chef de cuisine for the restaurant group, uh, Ryan Powell now, um, we just made him a partner in the restaurant group, and we're helping him open a restaurant on the ground floor of that. Uh, it's going to be called Ache, and it's a Spanish restaurant. It's that same idea of having somebody who's amazingly talented, and um, instead of him going off on his, on his own and developing something, why can't we develop something with him? You know, um, and it's it's you know I think that we cook selfishly in the restaurant group, and and Cafe de Nord is a place that I'd love to go have a Manhattan and a burger, and it's the burger that I'd want to eat, and you know, and the place that I'd want to go, and uh, you know, I certainly know that Ryan feels that way with Ache, and. Um, you know, flour and water is the the pasta that I want to eat. You know, um, and so are are you uh, changing from being a cook mm-hmm. slash chef to more a entrepreneur slash chef? It's a it's a hard development phase, right? I mean, my hands are the softest that they've ever been my entire life. You know, um, it's a hard development phase. I think that I am. I think I'm an amazing ground floor manager in the trenches and seeing everything that's going wrong and directing people mentoring teaching um showing them how to do things uh it's something that i'm really good at and, I, and i've always enjoyed and i think that's always why uh, um i've found success in kitchens and to be able to, to push people and to have that drive when you're doing that from a test kitchen or you're doing that from an office it's a completely different ballgame you know, so I'm even developing, just like uh, developing your skills as a cook uh, or, you know, developing yourself as a manager. It's a completely different management style. It's something that um, I find difficult, 
you know because for me i have to be in it i have to see it i have to understand it and you know um i have to expedite the restaurants because i have to i really want to see it and i have to be in 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 the 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 thick of it to really help uh develop it to help you know uh correct and and problems and uh, i always say a restaurant's like a house of cards it can crumble at any moment you know um and so it's a a different skill set you know i never envisioned myself to be a clipboard chef nor would i be a clipboard chef you know um, I love the creative side. I love the you know, the, the development side, um, but it's something that um, I've had to evolve as an as an entrepreneur, right? And that that skill set of of having a clipboard and, and you know it's it's two different worlds, really. Do you have any advice? We have a lot of um, chefs out there, cooks out there who are listening to this program. You know, there's some. I hear there's some kitchens this airs at noon on Wednesdays, uh-huh. and they play it in the kitchen, okay. uh, so people can listen to these. So, wh- if somebody's a line cook right now right. and wants to, you know, use em- emulate what you've done, uh, what what do you what do you tell them? How do you what do they have to do? I think that um, taking your time is a. Uh, taking your time and really understanding you know what you're doing we make vinegar um you know we only use whole animals uh part of that is a world absolutely not but if we make vinegar we really understand the process then to season something with vinegar we understand it a little bit more we can cook a little bit more we're more educated in in how vinegar is produced then we're more educated in how we use it on a dish and i think that that's that's in line with taking your time, really understanding everything and not, not jumping ahead. You know, and certainly if you're a line cook, uh, just like I said, with, with evolving the restaurant group, when you're a line cook and you first start managing management skill is something completely different than cooking. I know amazing, amazing cooks that are the worst managers in the world. And I know the, I know some best managers in the world that are the worst cooks in the world. You know, it's a different skill set. And I think that taking your time is, is, is really, it's really important to understand fundamentals. Like to, this world is so small like we talked about with the internet. You can, you can Google a souffle right now. You can Google that recipe. You're going to get it in 30 seconds and you can produce it and it's going to work. But you don't really understand souffles, you know. When you make a hundred souffles, you really understand souffles at that point, you know, and what it takes, and just like the little tricks and nuances. And you know, I think that with the industry today, you see people advance so quickly, um, and then they stumble a little bit because they they they've overlooked kind of the the path that they were gonna gonna take. I think that's difficult for me to say because I'm I'm not the oldest guy in the world, you know. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have to end soon. So I want you to tell me about this book. Mm-hmm. How is it different from anybody else's pasta book? Um, this book should come across in in three ways. It's a uh, it's a book that you can really crack the spine and cook out of. Um, it has an artistic bent to it. It's really you know we shoved as many photographs as we possibly can into design yeah um eric wolfinger is an incredibly talented uh, photographer this book um is about pasta it's a single subject it the whole front of the book is just doughs and then then there's a large section of just how to 
how to how to uh, how to utilize this book you know it's not just following a recipe you know because pasta so there's so many different dimension that goes on there um and you know it's a it's a collection of recipes that we that we use at the restaurant so um what was so important to me is certainly with the the photographs is all of these little uh pasta shapes if you put it in written word it's so complicated. I mean, I read pasta books where I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, so it was really important that we showed the step-by-step process. Um, and we didn't want it to come across as an encyclopedia and have that artistic bent. And so the design of the book and the design of those photos was really important to us. And so um, there's not a lot of books about pasta out there. And ones that aren't, you know, encyclopedias, which are, there's a lot of amazing books out there. And we wanted to really show, show how that's produced. Um, We make spaghetti at the restaurant and there's a recipe in here for spaghetti. And you can really understand how that spaghetti's um, uh, produced. But you can go out and and, uh, that spaghetti recipe is a great, great point that you can go out there and you can buy spaghetti. We, ha- we get in whole albacore tunas at the restaurant, and we tell you how we comfy them in olive oil to, to conserve them, but you can buy a, a great can of uh, tuna and still create that dish. So there's different levels that you can hit on. Uh, it can be incredibly, incredibly in-depth on pasta, or it can be an overview. You know. What's your favorite pasta recipe in this book? Oh, man, that's putting me on the spot. Um, I love to produce um, orchettis by hand. And it's it's something that is completely different than you can buy in the store, and I think it's really really unique um, how it's shaped and formed. I started watching videos on YouTube. I mean, there's thousands of these amazing videos on YouTube of people hand forming orchetti. Um, so the orchetti with rabbit sausage is a is a I think a great recipe to start from, and that's a great you can buy orchetti. It doesn't have to be rabbit sausage. It could be pork. It could be chicken. You know, you'll still still produce a great dish. Yeah, you really want to put your hands in in the flour <laughs> immediately on looking at this book. Okay, one last question. Sure. If you could go to any restaurant in the world, oh man, where would it be? What would what would you eat? Wow, any restaurant in the world. Right now. Okay. Right now, is it an existing restaurant? It's yeah. a. Oh yeah. really? Are you picking up the bill? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the radio station, Heritage Radio. Hear that, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Any restaurant in the world. Um, I would go to... Uh, I would go to Celer de Can Roca in Spain, probably. Oh. Yeah, Rudy Roca was just here. Oh, right? He I'm was really just here. <laughs> really switching That's it up good. today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the Roca brothers are yeah. incredible. And yeah. They're very... You know, they're inventive. Right? Sure. No, absolutely. Inventive. I, uh, yeah, it was, they're amazingly talented. They're inventive, but I think at the end of the day, uh, their food is familiar. You know, it's inventive, but it's familiar and always kind of takes you back to a place. So. Well, that was great. Well, this has been a wonderful interview. I really appreciate you oh, yeah. uh, coming, and I wish you uh, a lot of good luck with you your book and for anyone out there who gets to san francisco i have to say just keep trying to get a reservation it really is an extra and i'm glad you're opening more restaurants so at least you know we're spreading your talent (laughs) and we get all dazed it so thanks a lot for coming today it's been a pleasure and we'll see you next time. Shout out to Robin Cohen and Jack Innes, our producers. And uh, take care. 
Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.